Uh, good morning. Welcome to a very rainy Sunday. It looks like it's going to rain all day. Russ told the first, Dr. Russ told the first service they can go home and nap after this. So um, I guess you can. You know, you can do that. I'm glad you're here and not napping yet. Um, good to see all of you. Those of you who are online, good to see you as well. Uh, Dr. Russ did a good job of explaining our complicated situation with the theater. Uh, we've been in communication with Regal Cinemas uh, all week. Uh, their corporate division that works on securing private showings is in Knoxville, Tennessee. And so between Knoxville trying to communicate with Richmond to secure the actual theater, uh, we'll probably get the, they don't realize that church, we actually needed to know this morning, not tomorrow. They took the weekend off. We'll probably have everything secured probably tomorrow, Tuesday. But uh, we're, we're pretty confident it'll be the Wednesday. I mean, they've been pretty confident telling us that we they thought we, we have all that, but it has to be finalized and the contract signed and everything else. The, the, the movie premieres on the 24th, which is Friday. So if you don't get to go to our private one, you still can go, and, and there's no discount. It's $13 a ticket. Uh, the Jesus Revolution is, is you know, everything that's about the movie, that's it, in the movie, uh, directly relates to many of our coming to Christ. I, I know me personally, um, you know, I got a chance to, you know, when I first got saved, it was at a Calvary Chapel in Fort Lauderdale, and, and many of the people there had directly come from uh, Costa Mesa and got saved under Pastor Chuck's ministry, and I uh, remember the first time I got to meet Pastor Chuck, and I'd listened to him on the radio, and then I met Greg Laurie and was part of several Harvest Crusades. And so, uh, you know, God has uh, done a great work, but uh, we need that same work of revival in this day and age. Amen? We, we need to see many young people turn to Christ. So uh, I hope it brings people that don't even care to go to church, at least maybe it gives them uh, some reason to kind of check it out, and maybe they'll end up opening a Bible. So... Um, uh, good job by Russ trying to communicate where, where we're at, and hopefully we'll have uh, all that squared away in the next day or two. But uh, let's see, a couple of quick things before we get, not, well, not even quick, I've got a couple things before we get into the Word. I uh, did want to uh, announce today what we had kind of talked about a couple of weeks ago, and then we had some illness uh, in a couple of families, so we couldn't do it. Uh, but I had mentioned that we have some really good news with our children's ministry and just just things that are going to be kind of going forward, uh, new steps that we'll be taking, uh, new people taking uh, place and things we want to do out with the facilities out there in the modulars. And so um, over the last couple of years, uh, Gwen and Randy have done a fantastic job leading our children's ministry and we're so grateful. <laughs> They have selflessly served and, and just uh, done a great job and loving the kids and, and working with the parents and all the, the servants that serve out there. Uh, but they uh, are stepping out of leading children's ministry, and instead uh, we will now have Jason and Melissa Hood will be stepping into this role, and Taylor, um, uh, who is the wife of Jackson, was up on keyboard. She will be their assistant, and so that will be kind of our new team. Before I introduce... The new team, I want to have Randy and Gwen come up. We have a little gift for you, for all that you guys. Um, thank you. Thanks. Thank you. And I know how much Randy loves public speaking, so, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> he was like, please bring me up there for like a half hour so I can do all that stuff. But thank you. 
You guys have been great, and uh, you've left the children's ministry in good hands, and uh, you guys have done a great job bringing it to this point, and I believe Jason and Melissa are going to do a great job taking it to the next place, and, you know, just God, there's seasons for everybody and everything, and we'll, um, we'll introduce them in just a moment. Before we do, I just want to also, uh, I mentioned some things that we're doing to uh, improve parts of the property. We're still in the negotiation phase of everything with um, Spring Creek Baptist for the property here. We're making some good progress. We have the Mazars out there. And I don't know if you've ever noticed our Mazars, but they're not a beautiful sight to behold, right? Uh, they are quite... The, if you say, what, do you guys care about these? Look, yes, we do care, but we've had to get some things. First of all, we get some money in the bank. We've had to worry about uh, you know, other things that need to be settled first before we can uh, make those improvements, but uh, this is what, um, in the last couple of weeks, and this is an aerial view from Google Maps, you can see that uh, the roofs of the Mazars out there, uh, we got to have them sanded. You can see the, you can literally see the rust spot from, well, not outer space, but whatever, <laughs> higher than a Chinese spy balloon, um, uh, something along that, because it is a satellite view. So um, you get that kind of view of our whole country was recently mapped, but anyway, but other than that, um, you can see the rust there, and so we've got to have that sanded. We, we got some guys, we priced some companies that'll do it, we'll sand it, has to be resealed, has to put aluminum paint on it, and we want to paint the outsides of them, and we've, we're still working on what color we want to do. It's not going to be neon or anything like that, but it's going to be a neutral color, and it's going to look way nicer, and thank you for the team that already did the spring cleaning, the pre-spring cleaning. And then we've got more that needs to be done, the professional paint company to come out and, and, and make them look uh, different from a paint perspective. But that's not where we want to stop it. Uh, we have, uh, this, is the mod this is our beautiful modulars today. Uh, they look worse than the Chesterfield County School ones uh, because they're way older. Um, and uh, we've got this beautiful Dominion uh, utility pole right here that we want to actually cover with some kind of wood structure and stained wood and make it look uh, a lot more uh, appealing. Um, the first thing that we did uh, was actually we added this walkway, this brick walk. You, you might remember that that was actually some little uh, stones and mud. And uh, if you had a toddler or a baby, it wasn't a great way to enter. So now it's, we've got this brick walkway that's, that's concrete reinforced, and we want to put these, um, uh, these trellis hedges. They sell them at Lowe's, and, and then we can make that the skirting all the way around them, and, and then put wood accents, kind of like you see people take these trailers and turn them into tiny homes, and you put wood accents around the windows, wood accents around the doors, uh, things of that nature, and uh, you know, downtown and even near VCU, all the new apartments, they take metal and wood and kind of work metal, wood kind of contrast, and just make them a little, we got the sweat equity and guys that um, know how to do some of this stuff, so this will be, some of you will be recruited uh, for this project. You don't know it yet, but some of you are going to get recruited for this. Uh, the paint company is one thing. The rest of it is us. And, and this can all be done. And you know, I see some of you nodding your heads. So good, you're already on board. And we, we're going to do that and make it look a whole lot nicer for our children. And so, uh, but again, uh, it's been a journey. And, and Randy and Gwen did a great job of getting us uh, through the last couple of years. And so if Jason and Melissa, you guys would come up and uh, introduce yourself a little bit of your vision for the children's ministry. Give them a hand as they come up. Is this on? Yeah. Okay. 
Um, I'm Melissa, this is Jason, we're the Hoods. Um, just a little bit about us. We are both born and raised in California. Um, in 2015, the Lord brought us out here by way of Jason's Navy career, and we've been here ever since. Um, Calvary Chapel Richmond was the first church that we came to when we first moved here, about, I think, the second weekend that we were here, and we haven't left. And we're thankful and we're glad. Um, this is our church and this is our home. Uh, we have a nine-year-old boy, Luke. He's part of children's ministry. Um, so when, Tre or when Jason first came home one day after meeting Trevor for coffee, and he mentioned, hey, so Trevor wants us to pray about something. It's like, all right, what? It's like, he wants us to pray about possibly leading children's ministry. I was like, okay. <laughs> so initially inside, because I love to create and plan, and Jason loves to build and try and figure out all my crazy ideas and creations, I was excited, super excited, and like, I loved working with the kids, and um, I just thought, wow, this is awesome. However, Trevor did say pray, so we prayed. And <laughs> we prayed and prayed, and this was a few months ago, um, but we really feel like the Lord is leading us, and so here we are. Um, super humbled, and we're gonna need a lot of your prayers through this, because this, this is a big ministry. Um, and we're not gonna take it lightly, and uh, we really want the kids to grow and families to grow here. Um, so I don't know if some of you remember in January, Pastor Tim mentioned and shared a verse with everybody. It was um, Proverbs 27, 23, and it says, be diligent to know the state of your flock and attend to your herds. And when I heard that, it just really struck me and I thought about, excuse me, children's ministry. And I think we need to hear and attend to their needs. And that's what I wanna do. And that takes all of you too, through prayer, through, for example, today, the reason I'm wearing, I mean, Valentine's Day is on Tuesday, but the kids, um, one of the things we really want to do is start fellowships within our children's ministry. So the first one we're having today is the Jesus Loves You celebration. So they're in there. We've got tons of activities, but we couldn't make it happen without some of your help. Many ladies um, baked cookies for us today, a lot of donations um, to help make that possible. So thank you. And there'll be many of, um, more of those in the future. Uh, one of the other things um, is t-shirts. We really want our teachers to be seen because um, we think it's important, especially for visitors that come. We want our teachers to be recognized. So I think we have one somewhere. Somebody's wearing a t-shirt? Yeah, I think you're wearing a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so these are our new Calvary Kids t-shirts that all our teachers will be wearing uh, as they serve, and we really think it's important in a good way for our teachers to be recognized. Right. One of our immediate needs is more teachers. So if you're 13 and older and you have an application that you might want to um, send in, please do that because you can assist our couples. Um, and we also, it doesn't matter how old you are, if you're 18 or young at heart or... Um, our senior class, you guys could also help and um, teach our kids. Um, go ahead and turn it over to Jason. I think he has a couple. Oh, I forgot. So yeah, in our intro for first service, this is not easy, Pastor Tim. I don't know how you do two services. <laughs> but a fun fact about me is that I have a sister who's 19 years younger than me and a brother who is 23 years younger than me. But did you know she also has a husband that's younger than her. 
<laughs> I didn't mention that in first service. So. Uh, but did you know that Jason, while in the Navy and while in survival training, he once took a rabbit, sucked the eyeball out of the rabbit, and ate it. <laughs> it was dead, by the way. <laughs> he had just died. Um, by the way, I didn't know, I thought this t-shirt was just for me to, for this announcement today. I didn't know it. everyone else, all the servants were getting them. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway. Um, yeah, thank you guys uh, for, you know, allowing us to uh, come up here and do this. Thank you, Pastor Tim, for um, having us come up here and speak. And I was a little bit of the opposite of, of Melissa when Trevor told me to pray about this. Um, like she said, I did, uh, I just retired two years ago from the Navy. I, did, I was in the Navy for 20 years. And uh, I'll tell you that my last three and a half years in the Navy, I was attached to a ship, a destroyer. And um, I'll tell you that any sailor who's attached to a ship like that, the life is crazy, okay? I, I promise you I did not have this amount of gray hair. <laughs> uh, I didn't have a beard, but it also, when I did grow it, I didn't have gray hair in it. And uh, that last three and a half years was, was a very stressful time in my career. Um, a lot of people don't realize that when you're in the Navy on a ship, you're, that's where you go every day for work. It's not like a marina where there's a bunch of boats out there and then you go take one of them out. That's your actual, it's actually a second home. And they kind of own you. And sometimes you go to work on Friday and work leaves and you go with work out to sea and you'll come back on a Monday or a Sunday. So there's no way we could have done this a couple of years ago. There's absolutely, uh, I just wasn't here, here enough. Um, and, I, and so when Pastor Trevor said that to me, I was like, oh, just relax for a little bit. Um, <laughs> I don't know if, if any of you guys have ever heard of a guy named Louis Zamperini. There's a book written about him. Don't watch the movie. Okay, the book is way more in depth on his life as, you know, as, uh, as coming, to, coming to Christ. And when he was stranded on the ocean, he prayed to the Lord, if you get me out of this situation, I promise I will serve you. And I remember praying about that. You know, I, Lord, once I'm out of this, I promise. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, fun fact about that, my grandfather actually grew up down the street from Louis Zamperini and knew him personally, and so I got to hear stories about him when I was growing up. Wow. Um, yes, one thing we wanted to bring up is in the, we, we don't have a date set yet, but in the next few weeks or maybe next month, we're going to have a, uh, um, a parent and teacher meeting after one of the services. Um, so strongly encourage you. Um, if I was in the military, I would be telling my sailors, uh, you will be there. Uh, <laughs> it'll be a good, meeting, good meeting to get on the same page and just kind of go over our, our ideas and our plans. And again, we ask that you guys pray for us. Um, I don't want this to be like, like buying a brand new car and you're super excited for a couple of years and then things start to rattle and then you're like, you know, you don't care about it as much. Just please keep us in prayer that our excitement and for this just maintains high and that we always are putting the Lord first, that we're not just doing this for us, like as, as our satisfaction, it's we're doing this for the Lord. Amen. Amen. Right? Amen. I think that's all we have, right?
right. Thank you very much. And I also wanted to have Taylor stand up. And uh, this is Taylor over here. Um, there we go. Um, you can sit down now. But, uh, you know, uh, back in the summer, uh, Taylor came and said that she was willing to take over all the administrative functions of children's ministry, which is Excel spreadsheets. This is scheduling. This is using... Google Scheduler, all these different things, and our meeting, our um, uh, uh, planning center, uh, all of those things. And she's really gifted as an administrator. She's just uh, hyper organized, super gifted that. Melissa's very gifted creatively. Jason's got uh, management skills from uh, you know being an officer in the Navy and all these different things. And so uh, they make a great team. Uh, and uh, you know, Taylor's going to be a big, big help, uh, helping Melissa with other, other aspects of it. Um, and it's just, it's impossible to do what God's called us to do if people don't take steps of faith and take on and use the gifts and talents God's given them. Uh, there's only so much any one person in this church can do. But when people say, Lord, I'm available, I'll care, I'll pray, I'll give my time, uh, we're going to see we're going to see parents get saved because unsaved kids will come. They'll invite their parents. It's going to happen. Amen? So thank you guys for uh, your willingness to serve. Thank you, Jason and Melissa. You guys did great up there. I'll never forget the bunny's uh, eyeball. Uh, uh, you know, we won't tell that one at Easter to the kids. You know, they, there's a whole bunny thing going on at that time of year. We'll leave, we'll leave that one out for them. But, uh, but you guys are going to do a great job. Uh, the Wakefield's did a great job, and we're looking forward to what God does next. And Wakefields are probably saying, why are you doing the modulars now? Why now? Well, we didn't have a penny to our name before, you know, so things change. Uh, so we're a lot of different reasons. Um, turn, uh, before we get into God's Word, I did want to, real quick, before we close in prayer, um, um, we pray for revival every week. We're going to do that, and then we'll get into John chapter 20. But um, continue to pray for the Cawthorns. Uh, they fly back next week. Uh, many of you, if not all of you, uh, unless you're visiting, uh, they're up on the left-hand, upper left-hand corner there. Uh, Lee lost uh, the baby. Uh, their daughter is already home to be with the Lord. They are still, you know, uh, struggling through that, uh, grieving through that. Uh, the kids all had the flu. Lee had throw-up virus, all this other stuff. And, and then they're flying back next week um, for Lee's brother's uh, wedding. But just continue to pray for them. I mean, this is a really, really difficult time for them. I've been texting with Zach and just encouraging him and sending him verses and trying to do whatever I can. And, and, and I, I can't put myself in their shoes. But then on the, le um, the left-hand side is Jonathan Krause and his wife, Shiny, and, and their little one-year-old princess there. And uh, Jonathan and I were talking on the phone yesterday. We'd been communicating on text uh, during the week, and uh, he... Uh, he was just very, very discouraged. He's headed back to India. Uh, he's a witness in this case against um, some forces there that, uh, that, that caused an entire center to be shut down and kids to lose uh, all the funding. And uh, there was um, just some difficult things involved. And he's had death threats from people in the community uh, that, that are just, just uh, not good, not good people and not, you know, just uh, wrong intentions. And 
Uh, here's a guy who's given his life, and you know, the, the, all the other centers are doing great, but um, uh, that was a big, big, big loss, and, and there's some criminal uh, proceedings uh, that he's testifying against people that really do need to be brought to justice, that uh, they helped bring an entire center down and lost the funding for the kids, and, and uh, because, because he uh, has gone to the authorities and attorneys are involved and, and they're going to try and recoup what belongs to the Love Never Fails. Uh, he's had death threats against his life and, uh, and uh, he is an Indian citizen now and he speaks fluent Hindi and uh, so he can actually uh, really work within the, the system there and, and, but at the same time um, there's a lot of danger and, and discouragement over and sometimes the enemy just attacks, and if you're going to be in ministry long enough, you will endure some of these things. So uh, I told him, hey, you know, Jesus said that these things will come. And then lastly, um, a week ago today, while, uh, uh, while I was not watching the Grammys, uh, and, uh, but it, at the same time, uh, a massive 7.8 earthquake hit uh, there in Turkey the following morning, a 7.6 uh, hit uh, just a little bit in the two of those earthquakes, the twin earthquakes they called them, uh, just did devastating damage. Uh, as soon as that first quake hit, I was texting John Samara, and you guys have met John. He's been here. He is Syrian. He's from Syria, born and raised in Syria. His wife Miro, uh, they're both uh, from Damascus. They live in Houston now, and he runs this ministry. Ananias House, and he's in the Middle East and North Africa. Uh, a good portion of the year, but I was texting him. My wife was texting Miro immediately. I don't put their pictures up. He does not post pictures of his family because of the sensitive nature of what he does in the Middle East, and uh, so we don't ever put pictures of him, his wife, and kids, although you've met him here. But um, I believe he's already, uh, we were supposed to talk this week, and then he never got back to me. I believe he flew immediately back to Syria. I think he's there now. Uh, they've already started a massive relief effort, and as Dr. Russ mentioned, if some reason Regal Cinema's uh, drops the ball and we don't get our day that we uh, apparently will get. If you don't want your refund, we will send it to Syria. So if you can say goodbye to $13, uh, you know, the Lord will, uh, that's like two Starbucks coffees, by the way, but, uh, you know, we will be glad to just uh, send it on. We will. We'll send it on over there and instead of Regal Cinemas, get it. Uh, Ananias House would get it. Now, I would encourage you to go to Ananias House and and give on your own and just say, I want to do that. Uh, if you want to write, make a check to Earthquake Relief, you can put that and put Ananias House in the memo, and we can do a master check or two. We can do that too. Uh, anyone's interested. But John is such a good brother. Uh, I, all this week, you know, starting last Sunday, I've been talking on text with John, on text with Zach, and text and voice calls with uh, Jonathan. And uh, I love all three of these men, and their wives are amazing women, and their families are just totally invested in the kingdom of God. So be praying for them, because there's all of them are in different battles right now. Uh, relief, a legal battle, and lost a child. And, um, you know, if you're going to serve Jesus, you're going to take arrows. That's just the way it is. So that's, that should scare some of you, but still step up and serve children anyway. Your arrows might be Cheerios thrown at you or something like that. But uh, anyway, we want to keep these in prayer. So if you can join me on your knees if you're able to, we want to just go before the Lord. Uh, some of you uh, cannot get on your knees or not comfortable. That's fine. Just stay seated. 45 seconds of silence as we just humble ourselves before the Lord and pray for revival. And I'll be praying for Turkey and Syria as well. Let's pray.
Father, we once again come into your presence. Unworthy, but we come by the blood of Jesus. We come by the grace bestowed upon us through the forgiveness of sin and, and just faith in your Son. And we come uh, into your throne room of grace and we ask, Lord, that even first and foremost in this room that you just wash and purify our hearts, our minds. Lord, anything that we brought into this room that is not of you, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask, Lord, that you would just uh, purify your church. And, but, Lord, we also intercede for a lost and dying world around us. We have a nation that has forsaken the Lord. We have a nation that uh, is far more interested in a football game tonight than the empty tomb. But, Lord, we know that uh, these things in this world are fleeting, and, and those that are pursuing uh, not that there's anything wrong with football or anything like that, Lord, but there's so many things that, that have taken the place of the true and living God. There's so many idols. Uh, and, Lord, we're even guilty of it in our, in our own selves, Lord, of our own idols. And we ask for your forgiveness, Lord. But there's some uh, that still, Lord, will cling, as the rich young ruler did, not willing to submit and surrender. And, Lord, they'll die and spend an eternity in hell uh, because they will not let go of the idols. And we just pray for our country, Lord, that so many that are deceived by the God of this age, they're deceived by pleasure or wealth or immorality or, uh, Lord, just um, pride, uh, just things, materialism. Uh, we see so many things that, Lord, are keeping people in bondage. And so it's no wonder we have the addictions and, uh, Lord, the, the gender confusion and the rejection of marriage. And we see, Lord... Uh, the violence that's taking place in our schools and on subways and on streets and we see broken families and Lord we see depression and anxiety and we see suicides and all these things and Lord we know that our nation needs not trillions of dollars from a federal government but it needs revival from the true and living God. It Lord, needs repentance. We need Lord people to be turning to you for salvation. So Lord we pray that you would pour out a revival in our nation and a great awakening in the body of Christ. And we pray for Turkey and Syria this morning. Lord, I just pray for those two nations. Lord, I'm thankful that the pastors that are there in Syria and there in Turkey are saying that already doors are being opened to the gospel. We pray that although thousands have died and thousands of buildings have collapsed, that instead of lives collapsing, they actually will be redeemed. And Lord, we pray that you would use uh, John and others that, uh, that uh, we serve with and co-labor with uh, to bring the gospel. And we pray that we would get behind them to help further that work. I pray for uh, Jonathan. You'd protect him uh, as he does such a bold and faithful work there in India and Zach and Lee, that you comfort them and you bring them back and then send them back. We just lift all these things up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please grab your Bibles, please. I hope you enjoyed the appetizer of this morning. We're just getting started anyway. We'll still finish on time, so don't be too worried. Uh, John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. We finished John chapter 19 last week. When we last left off, Jesus had just been buried in the tomb. And so there's actually in your Bibles, just like there's a little gap of, of probably white space uh, between the last verse in chapter 19, which is verse 42... And then you have some white space in your Bible, and you have chapter 20. That white space in between is three days. Does that make sense? That white space in your Bible is three days in the grave right there. So just kind of keep that in mind. 
we're picking up with in between verse 42 of chapter 19 and verse 1 of chapter 20. So starting in verse 1, I'm just going to read the first uh, 10 verses. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, let me put this back up. Uh, first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. She then ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. So both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down, looking in, and saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, and they went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and saw and believed. For as yet, they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Let's pray. Father, we open your word. We know it is forever settled in heaven. Jesus, we know you are sitting on your throne in heaven at the right hand of the Father because of what you accomplished when you shattered the tomb and walked out and defeated the grave. And Lord, we are only here but by your risen life. And so, Lord, we pray that you would uh, speak to every heart, those that are watching online, those that are here, you'd remove every distraction, that the power of the risen Christ would permeate this building, that I would receive your power and anointing, uh, Lord, for you desire for us to see what you have done in a far greater way than maybe we even appreciated it when we walked in these doors. We would leave even more excited about so great a salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Three days earlier, so that white space in between chapter 19 and chapter 20, three days earlier, two previously secret disciples, you remember from last week, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, had carefully, had courageously and lovingly wrapped the body of Jesus, starting with each finger going down the arms, wrapped their Savior. And then they put him in Joseph's very own tomb that was going to be his burial place. And they honored the Lord with the very best care they could possibly give him under the circumstances. And are you giving the Lord the best you can possibly give him under your circumstances? Now, but after the tomb had been sealed, then when it, he went into the tomb, they sealed the tomb. Pilate had since approved, came the morning after, a watch of soldiers to guard the place of Jesus' burial night and day. And for all the remaining disciples, now that Jesus is sealed and the Roman soldiers are watching the tomb, they're despondent. They're still unsure of how to go forward. We would feel the same way. Everything they believed in, everything they hoped in, everything they trusted in, it seemed gone because Jesus was gone. It appeared... And it appears a lot this way when we watch the news these days, doesn't it? It appeared that evil and darkness and deception and murder had won. You ever feel that when you're watching the news? All the evil's winning. 
and that the kindness and the truth and the love of Jesus had been defeated by Caiaphas, by Herod, by Pilate. And then this mob that was determined to kill Jesus. And the disciples might be thinking to themselves, where are the promises that he gave to us? Where are the promises that he gave us to be receiving? Would he really take them home to the Father? And how could he take them home to the Father if he's lying in a grave? Were their sins really forgiven? That's a big one, isn't it? Wow. Jesus is gone. Did we really have our sins forgiven? And what about Peter? His last interaction with Jesus, he denied him three times, even cursed to make sure there was emphasis, and then he looks at Jesus in the eyes. Perhaps these questions and many more are swirling in the disciples' minds. But as they grope, you ever grope? You ever been through a grieving time in your life? Some of you are still in one right now. As they grope through these three difficult days, now closing in on the end of the third day, that's that white space, it's closing in, they're devastated. Yet they are unaware that a massive reversal is about to take place. Amen? Amen. Amen. And by the way, when Jesus comes a second time, there's going to be a massive reversal of what's going on right now. Amen. But what feels like total defeat to the disciples is about to be a demonstration of total authority and victory that will reverberate throughout all eternity. If you're taking notes, you see why. Jesus shattered sin and death. The power of the resurrection. Someone once said, we cannot make too much of the death of Christ, but we can make too little of the resurrection. That's true. Sometimes we, we understand the, the blood, but we need the empty tomb as well. The cross was essential for sin to be covered by the blood, but sin brought forth what? Death. And just as the now empty cross was necessary for sin to be covered, the empty tomb is necessary to give life instead of death. But none of the disciples understood that in the moment. It wasn't visible to them. Go back to verse 1. As Mary Magdalene heads to the tomb, she goes early while it's still dark, saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. Uh, as she and a few other women head there early Sunday morning, it's the first day of the week, but it's also the day, it's the feast day, the feast of first fruits. And as the priest would be raising up his hands in the sky on the Feast of First Fruits, Jesus is raising up from the grave. It's the day after Sabbath. You have Sabbath is the seventh day. It's, it's Saturday. This is Sunday. This is the first day of the week. Jesus rises on the first day of the week. Uh, the Sabbath the day before was a day of rest. As Jesus' body lay and rested in the tomb, the, the women, they could not travel a certain distance because of the Sabbath, so they couldn't go to the tomb on the Sabbath day, so they had to stay put. Oh, but they can't wait to get back to the tomb. It's possible, and even probable, I would think, that Mary Magdalene and some of these other women 
have stayed near the tomb as much as they could, except on the Sabbath where they couldn't travel as far, or maybe just outside the perimeter of the Roman soldiers, just as they stayed at the cross to its bitter end, I believe they would have been immediately, if he's, if he's in the tomb, we want to be right near the tomb. Now the Roman soldiers, they may have allowed them to come near the tomb and maybe even all the way to the tomb, maybe even place memorial items at the tomb, maybe even anoint the tomb with oil and spices. These women wouldn't be any threat to a watch of Roman soldiers. We don't know, but we do know that after resting on the Sabbath and being away from the tomb, they would be very anxious to get back there very early, so early, Mary's up before the sun rises. That ought to tell all of us that we can probably get up a little bit earlier for Jesus than we do. So as John records, Mary Magdalene, she heads to the tomb while it's still dark. Mark tells us that Mary, the mother of James and Salome, are also with her, so she wasn't by herself. Luke says others also, so we might have four, five, six, seven women. We don't know. We know from Mark's gospel that these women, they intend to anoint not just the tomb, but Jesus. And they wonder among themselves, you've got to love the faith of these women or just the passion of their love for Jesus. They're like, how are we going to roll away the stone? Apparently not even considering or even remembering, how are we going to get rid of the Roman soldiers? They don't even mention that. that their focus is Jesus. By the way, the more you love Jesus, the less you see obstacles. You see right past them. But they don't have to worry. They're not going to have to worry about the guards, as it turns out. They're not even going to have to worry about the stone, as it turns out. Let's look at verses 2 through 11. As she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. And Peter, therefore, went out, and, and, we, and I'm not going to read it all, but Peter then, he runs the tomb, and then John runs with him, and then... John outruns Peter and gets there, and they, uh, John's stooping and looking in, and verse 5, and he sees the linen clothes, and then uh, didn't go in. Peter goes straight on in, follows him in. They see the clothes lying there. But they didn't understand because they didn't understand that he had to rise from the dead. When Mary and the other women arrive, the stone is already rolled back which is perplexing enough that the stone is rolled. But even more than that, they then look in. They don't, they don't walk all the way in the tomb. It's like I can open that door and look into the fellowship hall without going into the fellowship hall, and I can open it up and kind of look in and see who's in there or who's not in there. They do that. And if you've ever been to the garden tomb there in Jerusalem, which is representative of most of the tombs that were built in that time, you can look in without going all the way in and see all the way to the back. They can see, all right, the stone's gone. That's perplexing. It's rolled back. The guards aren't there. Jesus isn't there. So they see all this. The tomb is empty. But turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. Take a left turn to Matthew 28. Let's see what took place before they got to the tomb. Because John doesn't really record that. He knew that the other gospel writers had, so he's filling in some other blanks. Matthew chapter 28, first few verses, and I just want us to see together what took place before Mary got to the tomb itself. 
Verse 1, now after the Sabbath, as the, dawn, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake. This is an earthquake you actually want to happen. Uh, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was, his countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became as dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. You can read the rest of it on your own time. But we know, we now know here in 2023, 2,000 and some odd years later, we know the glorious and eternal magnitude of what took place when Jesus shattered the grave. But they didn't even know he was risen yet. They have no idea why the tomb is empty. They're still confused. They're still perplexed. They're not seeing the magnitude. They don't understand what's taken place. Is Pilate responsible for this? Is Herod responsible for this? Is Caiaphas responsible for this? Who's responsible for this? None of them see this as a resurrection at this moment. But I believe John and all the gospel writers, they wanted us to have a clear understanding of the whole morning, everything that took place. But I believe John specifically, he doesn't write some of the things that Matthew, Mark, and Luke write. I believe John wants us to kind of put ourselves in the place of understanding how unexpected it all was to everybody that was involved. It just, none of it added up to them, even though Jesus had said some of these things prior. Understand, um, when they woke up that morning, when Mary woke up, before she even got near the tomb, Jesus was already alive and out of the tomb. What he did in that inner, we don't know, interim time between him rising before they ever get there, I have no idea. We'll find out when we get to heaven, right? Was he just in prayer with his father for a while? He had not introduced himself to anybody. He has risen before anybody else rises. The scriptures tell, show us many things that in the Bible, revelation often comes in layers, doesn't it? And it takes time to unfold, one piece at a time, not all at once. The empty tomb, it was the first witness. It was a witness of itself. When she gets there and her and the other women, they look in, tomb empty, that's witness number one. Then they run into the angels. Verse 11, take a look. Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. As she wept, she stooped down, uh, John chapter 20 again. Uh, Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, one sitting at the head, the other sitting at the feet, where the body of Jesus was laying. And, the, and they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. The first witness is the empty tomb. The second witness is the angels that Matthew mentions as well, Mark and Luke also. And then finally, Mary's going to meet Jesus, which we'll read about in just a few minutes. And Jesus will be the last witness before they become witnesses. Amen? 
We'll come back in a few minutes to Mary Magdalene and the women that are with her uh, and the timeline and the, and the order of events, events this morning. But John himself, let's draw our attention for just a second to John again. When they run and tell Simon Peter um, and John and they, they tell the disciples, hey, we, we've been to the tomb. It's empty. They've taken the Lord. John and Peter run there. John has his own, his, he, John has his own tomb account. He personally had his own witness that morning of him getting there and him seeing what he saw. Now, John and Peter were very close. They would later become uh, inseparable at times, the book of Acts. They were two close friends and, and co-laborers in the Lord. So they decide to immediately run out together. Uh, they hear what Mary Magdalene has told them, that Jesus is gone and he's not in the tombs. So they want to check it out for themselves. They head out. They run full speed the whole way. John is younger. And apparently faster, because he says the other disciple outran Peter. John's like, I'm just recording the facts. I am not, I'm not trying to rub this one in, but the fact is I got, I got there first. That's just, Peter's like, yeah, but I went in first, because he did. Peter gets there and blows right by John after John's already there looking. Peter strolls straight in. Peter, you know, he, he never saw a door that he wouldn't enter, so he goes straight in, and then John follows him in. But they both look and they see that the linen clothes that Jesus was wrapped in are, there's no body there. They're just laying there. They see the linen, but they don't see Jesus. And then they see that the handkerchief that was wrapped around his head was folded nice and neat and in a place all by itself. There's a lot of been written about what that means and there's a lot of, none of us really know why it was done that way. It might make you believe maybe it is a good thing to make your bed before you leave and make, leave it nice and tidy. Jesus is very organized, and it tells us something about that God has an order to things. His handkerchief, nice, folded, put there. It appears that uh, Mary and the women, they did not go into the tomb, as I mentioned, when they first got there. Their first, they were the first ones at the tomb, they looked in, but they did not go in. Yet they could see that Jesus was gone. And it seems that after Peter and John had come, so they run, they go back and tell the disciples, he's not here. Peter and John run past the women, because they are now left at the place where they were all gathered. John and Peter get there, and now they're looking in there. They look around, they inspect the whole thing. They verify, well, they're right about there's no Jesus they can't figure it out. They leave and head back. The women are still walking back now to go to the second time. This will be their second time because they've gone to tell the disciples. They now come back a second time, and I believe it's the second time that the women come, and then they enter after Peter and John had already entered. They enter, and they encounter angels, whereas Peter and John did not encounter the angels. Matthew mentions that one of the angels was sitting on the rolled away stone. This is my own observation here. Take it for what you will. But I've spent the week comparing all four of the Gospels, looking at back and forth. My page is going back and forth, comparing all four scenes and settings. And it seems that the angels appear at some times and vanish at others. The same can be said for Jesus. He appears at some times 
and vanishes or just appears out of nowhere sometimes, and then he's gone. God operates from heaven a little differently the way we do, right? We're like, I wouldn't do it that way. Well, that's why you're not God, right? So there's a lot of things God does differently than us. But it appears, and this is just my own, and I'll find out if I'm wrong, it appears that the angels either vanish or hide themselves or make themselves invisible when John and Peter come, but they make themselves visible when the ladies come in. Which the guys had to be saying, why is that? We'll get back to that in a minute. So Peter and John, they don't see the angels when they're in the tomb. And uh, they don't see Jesus that morning either. They will not see him until later that night. The women will all see Jesus. They will not see Jesus until later that night. And it's very possible, I had this thought too, it's very possible, you know, you're talking about angels, they, they go from heaven to earth in a split second, well, way faster than that. They're there. Back to heaven, back and forth. You and I, we barely get uh, to Ashland or whatever else. You know, so they, they move. And it's very possible that the angel that was sitting on the outside stone, as soon as they walk in, is now sitting on the inside. In a blink of an eye, they see him, hey, who are you? Walk inside, how are you in here? Because then it says an angel at the head and an angel at the foot. We don't know. Um, now we know that Mary, when she was there at the tomb, she wasn't just examining the tomb, but she's weeping outside the tomb before she enters the tomb. And then she encounters the angels. She's crying, she's weeping. Where is my Lord gone? Then she comes in, then she encounters the angels. And that's when the angel says to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she continues to weep as she looks at where Jesus has been laid. And her grief, which is added grief to the fact that Jesus has already died three days later, now his body's been taken. She thinks the body is perhaps stolen, so the other women. And the unexpected grief that the whole reason they were at the tomb in the first place was they just wanted to touch his body and anoint it with oil and spices, and they can't do that because he's gone because some evil person has taken their rabbi, their teacher, their leader. This is the one who delivered her from seven demons, so she just wanted to show all the love she possibly could, and she can't. Her grief and confusion is so overwhelming that she thinks nothing of the two angels. They're talk she's talking to angels. They're like, where have you, where, I don't understand, where is his body? Matthew said of the angel, now, you would think that they would make quite the impression on her. Matthew said of the angel, remember we just read it in Matthew chapter 28, he shined like lightning. And his countenance was white as snow. The garments were white as snow. Luke said the two men had shining garments. Mary's like, uh, this is really weird. You shining guys, can you tell me what, what y'all did with Jesus? Mark describes one of the angels as a young man in white garments. But Mary, it's so clear, she's not looking for angels She's not even looking for the supernatural. She's not even expecting the supernatural. She's only looking for Jesus. And God does not want you and I looking for supernatural. He wants us looking for Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. He, we might get some supernatural, but not be looking for supernatural. Looking for Jesus. I want that kind of devotion in my life, don't you? That all I'm looking for is Jesus, and she, she ignores all the other stuff, even though the angels are from God. We know from the other Gospels that the angels both encouraged her and they reminded her that 
what Jesus had said in the past was now coming to fulfillment, to fruition in front of her eyes. In Mark 16, 6. Did I not put this one up yet? Anyway, that one should have gone up earlier. That's the uh, Jesus of the faithful witness. But uh, in Mark 16, 6, he says, uh, do not be alarmed. The angel says this to the women. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen and not here. See the place where they laid him. And then in Luke chapter 24, verses 6 and 7, remember now how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. Immediately after encountering, so the angel is saying, look, he had to die. He told you he was going to die. He told you he was going to rise again. Why are you weeping? He's done exactly what he said he would do. Immediately after encountering the angels, as Mary begins to head back, so remember, they come, tomb empty, they go get the disciples. The disciples run past them, they come, tomb empty, no angels, they go back. Ladies proceed back to the tomb a second time, tomb empty, go in, see the angels, angels tell them he's risen. At this point, they're going to go back for round two in their mind of telling the disciples, now we know you guys came and inspected it. And it was empty, but we went in after you went in, and we met angels, and they said he's risen. They're about to go back and say that. So as she's about to head back with her angelic explanation, and I don't know if she even thinks they're angels, but whatever explanation she's going to go back and tell them, about this time, pick it up with me in verse 12, and she saw the two angels sitting in white, sitting at the head, and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had laid. Verse 13, then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She says to the angels, not at, not at all impressed that they're angels, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, when she said this, she turned around. It's almost like at this point, she's like, all right, he's not here. We know from Matthew's gospel, she's told that he's risen. John doesn't say it, but Matthew and the other guys say it. So she's about to, she turns, and she's about to head to tell the disciples Jesus is alive. But she hasn't seen him yet. She's just, just giving the witness that the angels, she's going to give the angels witness. But then she turns around and saw Jesus standing there, verse uh, 14, and did not know that it was Jesus. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She might be saying, where have I heard that sentence? <laughs> this is the exact same thing the angel had just said. The angels come and Jesus has already told the angels, here's what you're going to say. You're going to say, woman, why are you weeping? And then I'm going to come behind you. Woman, why are you weeping? She had just heard that. She hears it a second time. And he says, who are you seeking? She still doesn't know it's Jesus. She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. <clears throat> when she last saw Jesus, when Mary last saw Jesus, his face was marred beyond recognition. The Bible says no one could recognize his face. It was so brutally beaten. His face was marred beyond recognition. Now he's in a glorified state, which we don't even really know what that exactly entails, do we? We just know that he's now been glorified. And it's clear that she does not expect to see Jesus. So she has, no, she has zero expectation of seeing him. She's still convinced, even after the conversation with the angels, that he's 
that he's gone, that someone's taken him. And she remains overwhelmed. And to add to all this, there's the very real possibility that Jesus himself has temporarily shielded her from recognizing him. Why do we know this to be true? Because this is what I'm going to teach on Easter Sunday this year. I'm going to teach on the, the road to Emmaus, the two men that will actually, they'll actually see Jesus in between the women and the apostles later in the day. They will be the second group. And they can't recognize it because it says in Luke chapter 24, verse 6, that, that the Lord blinds their eyes from recognizing it's him. So this may be happening with Mary as well in, in, in the midst of all the other things that I said about his marred and, and not expecting to see him. So he says, woman, whom are you seeking? She says, hey, if you tell me, are you the gardener? If you are the gardener, tell me where you've taken him and I'll take him away. Verse 16, Jesus says to her simply one word, Mary. She seems to have just turned away to go back to the city when she hears her name and says so she turns back and immediately she knows who it is now. Whether the veil's pulled off her eyes, whether it's she recognize, we don't know exactly why she knows it at this point, but she says, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. And we know from the other gospels that she falls at his feet and begins to worship and clings to him and Soon after, the other ladies catch up, and they also, they see him after her. She's the first, then the other ladies, but they don't see her, Jesus at the exact same moment. But a few minutes later, the other ladies see him as well, and they all begin to worship at his feet. But the instructions he gives her, he says, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I, ascend, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and to your God. And by the way, when he said, I just want to, uh, when he says to her, woman, uh, that's not a, um, that, that's not some rude way. It's like saying, ma'am. In our goofy society, no one can actually interpret any way of anyone speaking to each other anymore without thinking, <laughs> you're offending me. You know, that it actually was a, a, a sign of respect, woman, but he then tells her, do not cling to me. He's not actually saying, I don't want you to worship me. He's simply saying, I have a busy day of things that the Father has me to do, and I'm giving you certain instructions. I want you to go back, tell them, tell the brethren that I'm ascending to the Father. They'll know that I talked to them about this in the upper room. Go tell them that I'm ascending to the Father. And he says, to my God and to your God. Unbelievable that you know he says to her. You can imagine. Um, I love this inclusion here. Her hearing her name is powerful enough. Just Mary, when Jesus calls you by name, you personally by name, it rings different. Mary. But then he says, this personal, her, her salvation is personal, her name is personal, her relationship is personal, her faith is personal. Uh, he says, my God and your God. You know you're saved then, right? <laughs> my God and your God. I'm in. You know, you know you belong to the Lord. Mark's gospel uh, tells us that, that Mary Magdalene, like, as I mentioned, was the very first uh, person to appear, uh, Jesus appeared to, and immediately after Mary comes the other other, other women, and they all worship. But uh, when Mary 
goes back and tells the disciples. So at this point, she knows that Jesus is not only risen from the angel's testimony, but she's now seen Jesus herself, cling to him. So do the other ladies. They came shortly after. They all go back, and they go back to tell the disciples. Now it's not just the tomb is empty. It's not just what the angels told us. We met Jesus this morning. And how do these mighty men of faith respond? You can see it on the screen. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. They say, woman, we went in the tomb. There were no angels. There was no Jesus. We're the apostles. Case closed. Isn't that interesting? That tells you something about... um, uh, just because God hasn't shown you something in your lifetime doesn't mean someone else. And sometimes your faith is because you've been brought through something that the disciples are still like, look, where's 12? If he was going to show himself to anybody, it would be us. If we were going to see angels, it would be us. And the angels had made sure they weren't there. Jesus wasn't there. These women are like, remember, they were the last ones at the cross. It might be their reward. We don't know. But you can imagine them saying, well, we didn't see the angels, so I don't know what you guys are talking about. But somewhere in between Mary Magdalene and the women seeing Jesus will then be, later in that same day, Jesus will appear to the two men on the road to Emmaus, and that's what I'll be teaching on uh, on Easter Sunday this year. And their eyes were restrained. But, uh, but before this glorious day ends, on the first day of the week, and for all of us, this first day, this resurrection day, is the first day of our eternal life not just the first day of that week, but it's the first day of our eternal life because Jesus secured our life by shattering the grave. Uh, before this day ends, he is going to show himself to the apostles. Pick it up with me in verse 19. Um, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands, he showed them his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. The ladies had already seen, now they finally see it's true. Jesus is risen. Jesus suddenly appears behind locked doors. Can you imagine all of us at, at some uh, fellowship and we've we got the doors locked, and some crazy thing happening or whatever, and Jesus all of a sudden just shows up and standing right in our midst. Of course, that doesn't bring them fear. That brings them a calming, a peace. He suddenly appears, and they were hiding. They were hiding in fear. It says, for fear of the Jews. They were wondering, is Pilate going to kill us? Is Herod going to kill us? Is, uh, are they going to, are we going to all receive the death penalty for stealing the body, which we didn't steal the body? They were thinking about all the legal ramifications of things that could go wrong. Jesus' body's gone. The soldiers are gone. They were going to get executed. And Jesus suddenly appears to them. I love that he doesn't say to Peter, how could you? He doesn't say, how could you? He says, peace be with you. You and I have failed Jesus, all of us in this room, thousands of times. And he does not say to us, how could you? He says, I still love you. Peace be with you. It's a genuine peace that comes with a genuine pardon. Jesus' risen life alone brings eternal life, and he alone brings the peace 
of God that surpasses all human understanding. And here's the thing. Real peace cannot be with you unless the risen life of Jesus is with you. Amen? Amen. Everything else is a pseudo-peace. The United Nations, all the, they, they try and find peace. All this is pseudo-peace. You can't have real peace unless you have the risen Jesus with you. And it says they, they, he showed them his hands and feet, and they were glad when they saw the Lord. Just four nights earlier, just four nights earlier, they were in the upper room with Jesus. And those same hands that did not have nail prints were washing their feet. They might have had blisters from being a carpenter or things like that, but they did not have nail prints. And now, with these nail prints, they see these scars on his hands. But that night, he didn't have the scars. But they were sad he was leaving. Now he does have these scars, and he's going to have these scars for all eternity. And yet they're glad that he has returned. Just, just as he said, just a few days later, he has destroyed the power of sin. He has taken away the curse of death. And if he's not risen, they won't be rising. And if he's not risen, we won't be rising. Amen? It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. If there's no resurrection, I need to go back to corporate America and back to what I used to do. And you need to stop coming to church and just go, but don't worry, it is empty and you need to stay right where you're at and actually grow more. See, they can have peace knowing that the tomb is empty not their faith. Amen? Amen? The tomb is empty, not our faith. The world is empty, but our faith is not empty because the tomb is empty. Amen. And if Jesus has defeated sin and death and Satan, what else is there to defeat? Right, right. right? Everything you see that's evil in the world is somewhere related to sin, death, or Satan. If he's defeated all three, there's nothing left. So, knowing that, they can have peace. We can have peace knowing that his forgiveness and his authority is over everything that would come their way, that will come our way. The nail prints are the eternal reminder of his love and atonement. The resurrection is a permanent reminder that Jesus has zero limits. And he'll accomplish everything that he intends to accomplish in your life and in my life. I want to close this morning just with a Encouraging quote from preacher and author Dustin Benj. He lives over in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, he said this. He said, God doesn't secure his people through elections, governments, and armies, but through the death and resurrection of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our only security in this broken world. Amen to that. Amen? Amen. Amen. There is no other security. The disciples did not have to, they would, they would carry out their ministry as long as Jesus says, my hand is on you. And if I can defeat Satan, I can defeat death, I can defeat sin, I can defeat anything you'll ever encounter in your whole life, and the same is true for us. That's the power and the promise of the resurrection today and tomorrow, and as the hymn says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you once again for the risen Jesus. We look forward to seeing you face to face, Lord. Uh, we, can, we can understand 
how they couldn't see or believe until you showed yourself to them because uh, we're just by default unbelieving in our hearts. But Lord, we are grateful that your testimony, your witness is well established. And Lord, we have more than enough to know that you are risen from the grave. And Lord, you've conquered sin, death, and Satan through the work on the cross and through the empty tomb. Because of that, our faith is not empty. And Lord, we're so grateful to know you personally by name and you know us by name. And even our name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But Lord, as we come to a close, if there's even one here that has not experienced the risen power of Jesus by being born again, Lord, I pray even now you'd prick the heart and they would come to know you right now today. Before we close in song, if there's even one here, just raise your hand. If you say, I, I want to give my life to Christ today. I didn't come for any reason other than I was invited or I rainy day, why not come to church? I just feel Jesus calling me personally. He, he knows your name. He, he knows when you're born. He's the reason you have a physical life, but he wants to give you an eternal spiritual life. There's even one person, raise your hand. I want to pray with you. I can't save you, but Jesus can save you. There's even one soul at all. Now, if we all know the Lord, he wants us to appreciate his resurrection at a deeper level. I pray that you'll become more like Mary, that you see past everything else and you see the risen Jesus. Why don't you stand as we close in song?